Hello, Internet. This is Down in the Gutters with me, Karina, and James. I'm the one who hasn't read comics, and James is, and this is the podcast where I am forced to read things and then I have opinions about them. Forced to read. <laughs> like Practically. It's, like it's such a fucking chore. <laughs> you have to force me, let's be honest here. Well, so hey, I think as of this episode, the show has a name when we're recording it. Okay. I don't think it come. We had a name for the show the last two times we recorded it. Oh well. Oh well. Do you think? Today we're talking about fables. The uh, is it a classic? Is something that started in two thousand two a classic? I don't know. It was very. It's very well regarded, or at least it was. I don't know if its regard kind of died off. It ran for thirteen years. That might be. All right. We're talking about fables. First, we're gonna do these credits off the top. Fables. Created and written by Bill Willingham. Penciled by Lan Medina, Mark Buckingham, Brian Talbot, Linda Medley. Inked by Steve Lealoa, Craig Hamilton, Brian Talbot, Linda Medley. Colored by Daniel Vozo and Sherilyn Van Valkenberg. That's an impressive name. And lettered by Todd Klein. Original series covers by James Jean, Alex Maleev, and Aaron Weisenfeld. Take Todd Klein on the lettering. Literally the only letterer I know by name. <laughs> he does Sandman. Oh. He did wow. Sandman. He does most things, I think. Most big things. Alright, you wanna get into it? What did you what did you think of Fables? Well, I really like it, but to be honest, I'm I'm a sucker for anything that feels like like mythology. Like I've always it's it's the reason why I why I liked um was it was it the God Bomb? Is that one that Thor one? The Jason Aaron Thor run, God Bomb, yeah. Yes, I loved that whole thing. So something like Fables, like obviously it's a little bit more small town. Like it's kind of like this is kind of like season one of Supernatural, where God Bomb is kind of like season five or whatever, because that's the season where Supernatural should have ended. Well, to be fair, Thor God Bomb is like season one hundred and forty-seven of Thor. Fair enough. But I do, I, I really like it. Like, I like taking the concept of something so well-known and, like, reinventing it into a different idea. Like, it's also the reason why I, I also liked um, American Gods. Yeah. That's a, I like that they took, you know, things you know well and reinvented them, but didn't do it in a way that these aren't your parents' fables. They're still recognizably the things you know. Yeah. Yeah, like like they didn't do that dumb thing that happens all the time with vampires, where it's like they're vampires, but they can go out in the daylight. Yeah, that's dumb. They ain't afraid of crosses. Like, why make even vampires at that point? Just make up a new thing. If you're gonna make Snow White be recognizably not Snow White, why are you Snow White at all? Cough, cough. Every major week blockbuster these days. Oh yeah, I forgot there was a big budget remake of Snow White. Mm-hmm. There was, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it, but I vaguely remember the trailers, and from memory, doesn't she end up wearing a suit of armor and leading an army? Oh god, probably. I think that chick from Twilight's in it. Probably the reason I didn't see it. I think Chris Helms... Hel- I think Thor might be in it, too. He oh. might be the woodsman. Okay, I'd watch it for him. That's literally I'm, it. I think it's Thor. There's some dude that's ripped who's the... Huntsman, or the yeah, woodsman, whatever. Well, I'd, I'd watch it for the huntsman then. I don't even know where you would put an army into the Snow White plot. God, who fucking knows? Look, modern movies all gotta be army battles because Lord of the Rings happened. Yeah, basically. 
Should I go for my notes? I guess I'll go for my notes. You can say things as you think of them. Sure. Alright, first note I have, because it's uh, it happens on, I think, literally panel... It might be panel 2. Panel 2 of page, panel 1. Okay, it's from 2002. I don't care for the fact that this book opens with a really shitty stereotype of an Indian cab driver. Uh, you might not remember it, but I'm going to read you his dialogue. I'm not going to do the shitty Indian accent, which... You know what a shitty Indian accent sounds like. Look, it's like a poo, but shittier. Oh, I thought... I didn't realize you were waiting for me to react. I thought you were just talking to the camera. Oh, no, I was looking directly at you. We don't have a camera microphone. Anyway, the dialogue is... Can't you please to be holding onto your water, sir? You are very much to be making me a nervous driver. That's... <sighs> Look, I've worked with a lot of Indians in my time. I have never met an Indian who talks like that. Generally, if they're working, they can speak English decently. They certainly know how to structure a sentence. That's not a huge point. It's just, it's literally the second panel of the bo of the whole thing. It's kind of a, ugh. Ugh. It's kind of like, it's, okay, it's not as bad as Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's kind of like how Breakfast at Tiffany's basically starts on a super racist depiction of a Japanese man. Have you seen Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yep. Mrs. Go Rightry, mm -hmm. I called her Paris. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad the producer apologized for that in the director's commentary. Mm. That sure was a white man squinting yep. and doing a racist accent. Anyway, that aside, that's it's unfortunate, but it's not around that much, I guess. Ignore it, get past that one thing. But, okay, first story arc, the murder of Rose Red. What did you think of it? That was your first... You know, fables? Well, to be fair, when I started reading this, my only frame of reference for it was watching you play, like, The Wolf Among Us, and not even watching it dedicatedly, like, watching it every once in a while when I was looking up from my drawing and watching a cutscene or two, and not knowing what the fuck was happening. So, when this started out as, like, a murder mystery... I was just kind of like, oh, okay, this is going to be Wolf Among Us. But luckily, Bigby is actually kind of a bit more of a dork than he is in that game, which is also kind of endearing. Yeah, well, that game is definitely... It's definitely a noir. It, it's a noir first. It's neon noir first. Fable second. Fantasy is second. Yeah. Yeah, that, I can see why he would go, like, oh, this must be a crime book. Yeah, I mean, like, my only frame of reference for Fables was that game, and then this was the no. first story. I guess so. this first story is a Big B story, and he's the sheriff. He's naturally going to fit crime stories. Yeah. Also, war stories later on. Well, fair enough. You had some flashbacks to him in World War II. No, well. Let's say, rereading this, I was very surprised to see that the penciler on this first story arc was Lan Medina. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't know if I'm saying anyone's names right. But I'm just so used to uh, Mark Buckingham. He's gonna be the artist for at least of the first 11 volumes, like the artist of 90% of it. I just assumed he was there from the very beginning. Oh. He's the one that often draws Big B without a mouth. Oh, I see. Or eyes. He's just, he's just a blob. He's well, hair. well, he's a face with, like, shadows where his eyes are. He has and a beard mustache. and some eyebrows and a nose. You get enough expression from that. Sure. Yeah. Um. Oh, rereading this, I have to say, I never noticed it the first time. Now I'm a bit older, I know a little bit more about 
uh, writer Bill Willingham, I can definitely see his conservative politics coming through. Like, I know he's a right-wing conservative. Several years back when um, DC did their stupid... They had this dumb miniseries leading up to... It was probably the Bush guy who lost a Bush election. Al Gore? No, not Al Gore. The, the second election. Shit. Ah, fuck. All I can remember is he won three Purple Hearts. Joe Kerry? I don't know. Like... Honestly, the only reason I think Bush won a second term was because he was the lesser of two evils. No, I think it was because it was a war on. Probably that too. I uh, okay, so the other guy clearly wasn't very memorable. But DC, point is, DC did a miniseries leading up to that. That was through was an election, the DC universe, and heroes were going to take sides, and you were going to see who was what sides. And Bill Willingham wrote the conservative right wing Republican side of that miniseries. Mm. Like he is a right wing Republican. I don't know about any of his beliefs beyond what I've seen in the book. Like, I don't know his stance on gay marriage or abortions or any of that. I don't know his opinions on the non-core issues. But I can tell you from reading this book, he definitely has the Republican um, ideas of government bad. I know you don't know this, and I know I've told you several times and you never remember, but the basic core difference between Republicans and Democrats is... Republicans don't like the government, and Democrats do like the government. Republicans are evil. That's all I really know. No, no, that's all the extra bullshit they've picked up over the years about abortions and gun control and all that. At their Republicans are evil. At their core, Republicans think that local governments should organize things themselves, and that the large federal government should not interfere with day-to-day activities of the people. I'm sure that's how it was when, like, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, but these days... But that is that is technically Republican beliefs. All the bullshit... Stop alienating the li- listeners we don't have. <laughs> Stop alienating, alienating the non-existent Republican listeners we have. All that extra stuff about all the gun control and abortion and women's rights and all that, that's weird shit that got picked up because of how fucked up the American political system is, especially in terms of... Candidates for both parties having to be more and more extreme with every election. Like, you can't be, you don't get nominated if you're a bit of a moderate Republican. You gotta be really Republican. And you have to be really Democrat to get nominated for the Democrats. Look, this quick lesson aside, only skeptical looks you're giving me aside. Yeah, it's politics. So Republican it's, it's, writer. It's, it's politics do come through slightly. Um, let me find the exact. Look, there's definitely shit near the start where um, Snow White is... Oh no, here it is, exactly. Quoting Snow White. The mundanes may look to their government to solve their problems, but in the Fable community, we expect you to be able to run your own lives. It's not like a huge... Oh god, the politics in this book, but there are little hints of his politics that come through, and he clearly does have those sort of Republican opinions of, ah, people expect the government to look after their lives too much. It's also, I don't know, it's not super out of place. Most of the, To be fair, most of these fables would be monarchists. Mm. Bunch of cushy, disgusting monarchists. Mm-hmm. Fuck monarchies. Yeah, they You don't say work. a bad word about the queen, they'll slap you. Oh, what the fuck ever? Lizzie, Lizzie rules? She's not my queen. She literally rules. Not my queen. Now she's your queen now. Only half. You got citizenship. You got citizenship. She's your queen. Yeah, and Obama's my boy. My boy. <laughs> You're so white. <laughs> I am. I know I am. I'm a fucking marshmallow puff. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh. 
this is a lot of sidetracking that's not really relevant to the I book. I know. Okay, I, th I thought rereading it, the first issue was kind of heavy on the exposition. It's sort of gotta be. There's a lot you're having to put out. Your pilot always is. Yeah, but it's 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 not the smoothest first issue I've seen. They don't exactly say as you know, but there's a fair bit of like Snow White saying to people like, as you know, we had to flee the homelands after the adversary invaded. She doesn't actually say as you know, but there is a fair bit of people saying things that like everybody would know. Why would we say this out loud? But I mean, what's your alternative? The alternative is you have a mundane human who joins the Fable community and then they no. hang out with Bigby and no. Lanobax. No. You have your Doctor Who companion. No. Look, there's a reason Doctor no. Who companions work. No. I don't, don't want it in this. That's fucking dumb. You don't want that? don't want that. No. <laughs> don't want that. don't want that. That was a reference to an internet video. If you haven't seen that video, you don't get the Press reference. Pass me the salt. I want the cheese. Read your notes. Look, people love references. Sure. That's why Family Guy's so popular. Yeah. Um. Also, this first story issue, I find some of the times weird. Like, some of the ways people talk, people talk like Bigby's new to being the sheriff. Like, he's only just started being the sheriff. Which is odd, because later they're definitely going to say he's been the sheriff for decades or at least hundreds of years. It At the time, I wouldn't have noticed it as a problem. It's just going back, it kind of... It's characterization that hasn't been set yet. It's a lot like if you read Equal Rights by Terry Pratchett. After you have read other books about Granny Weatherwax, you read that book and you're like, oh, he's not figured out how this character works yet. Didn't he admit that? I don't know if he's admitted it. I know he's admitted that he didn't know what the fuck he was doing when he was first writing The Patrician. Oh, wow. In the first book, when The Patrician's like a big fat, lazy dude who eats peacocks stuffed with pheasants. Mm -hmm. And fans came up with complicated timeline explanations to explain how that was a different Patrician, and Pratchett was just like, nah. I was just shit. I just wasn't as good a writer back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Do you think it was an odd choice to start Fables with a murder mystery? Well, seeing as how the other two books I read aren't murder mysteries, I mean, unless, in a sense, Fables has an overarching theme that it changes themes all the time, and I don't know, I've only read the three volumes, it seems very clashingly different to books two and three. It does go through a fair few genres. Starting with a murder mystery, I mean, I guess on one hand, it is kind of still a pilot concept wherein, like, you know, you're introduced to a problem and you solve the problem within, like, you know, within the episode, within the pilot. And it kind of acts as, like, you know, a, these are your characters, this is how they interact together, this is them solving a problem. Like, it's, 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 it's what I would expect from a, 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 any pilot episode, including, like, you know, the unnecessary exposition. Yeah. Thinking about it, I think it's also a good way to introduce a lot of people as basically sub, uh, suspects. Yeah. Like, oh, Jack's a suspect. Let's go meet how that character works. Bluebeard's a suspect. Let's go meet him. Yeah. Buffkin. He's a monkey that throws poo at things. He's not a suspect, but he's there. Yeah. They never draw the poo. It's fine. Still gross. Uh, oh, Prince Charming. I don't think he's really introduced. I think he just shows up. Well, he's a prick. He is a prick. Well, so the murder mystery does also set up what is one of the book's strongest strengths, which is that it's an ensemble book. It's a book with a lot of cast members, and they're only going to get more. 
Well, it's about fairy tales. But also sometimes less. The thing I do like about fables, they're not afraid to kill off main characters. Apparently. I mean, Jesus, I should put a spoiler warning on top of the show. We're spoiling the shit out of these first three volumes of fables. <laughs> We're spoiling these first three volumes of fables. They kill fucking Bluebeard. Yeah. Oh, and by first three volumes, I mean the first 18 issues. Oh. We're reading the original paperback versions, not those deluxe re thicker versions. Yeah, spoilers. They kill Bluebeard. Yeah, and he's a major character up until then. Yeah. And they kill him. Yup. And other side characters are gonna... I know over the course of it, uh, Boy Blue becomes more important. Flycatcher gets more of a role. Pinocchio gets more screen time. I don't think he ever becomes like a main character, but he definitely becomes a recurring B character. I find him a little gross. Pinocchio? Yeah. His... I think he only really pops up in the first volume, and he's kind of just there so they can make a crack about, oh, he hasn't gone through puberty forever. He's kind of just there to exist as that one joke, but he does get more characterization later. Oh, okay. I think he's kind of part of the comic relief trio with Boy Blue and Flycatcher. They're, yeah, you know, your recurring trio of... Dipshittery? I was going to say doofuses, but yeah. <laughs> They're there to be, you know, not super serious all the time. Mm, okay. Yeah. Did you read the pro section at the end of the first book? Nope. You didn't read it? Nope. Why not? It's too much. At the time, it was probably like one in the morning. You should read it. It's decent. It's, um, it's how Big B meets snow. Okay. Now he first comes to the mundane world. Well, I don't know. Like, it's only one, two, give, three. Give me, give me a lowdown. I'm not going to read it now. No, I'm just saying. Did you read it? I was going to ask you about the pro style. I think there are a few more pro stories. Eventually there was a book. I've read. Uh, the book from memory was about the Pied Piper. Okay. Peter and Max. It's one of the many media spin-offs they've had for this series. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask you what you thought about the pro section. <laughs> from memory, you didn't read the prose issue of the Grant Morrison Batman run either. No, I skipped that whole fucking thing. Jesus Christ, it's not... How many pages of fucking internet role-playing text do you read every day? Yeah, well, that's different. It's worse. <laughs> Shut up. It's poorly written. I write it. So what you're saying is you only... I'm like 50% at most. So what you're saying is you only read your own fanfiction writing and don't read anyone else's. I read everyone else's. It's called role-playing. You can't take the time to read five pages by an actual... Okay, no one I role-play with writes five fucking pages in one go. They also don't have editors, so you know. Yeah. Man, I hope your uh, hope your nerd friends don't listen to this. <laughs> if anyone in my guild writes me five fucking pages of role playing, I'm going to find some way to stab you in the eyes through the internet. Whatever, Karina's internet role playing nerds. It's not a secret. I think you're all a bunch of nerds. Yeah. We all spend too much time playing Tor. I don't care. Way too much time playing Tor. Still don't care. I like to point out it probably took you four months to read these three volumes. Uh huh. Remember when you used to actually be able to read books? Mm. Oh, my next note. The James Jean covers. Is that who made the covers? That's who did the cover art. Uh-huh. Yeah? It's pretty. You think? Yeah, he's good. I like the style. Well, it's got a very soft style. Yeah, it's very kind of like oil painting-y, almost. No, it's oil painted. I just, there's not Look a lot of covers. sharp edges. Okay, that's well, like it's like pastels, then. Like... Well, I don't know. It's it's also like very like refreshingly different compared to like the lines in the actual story too. Yeah, I wonder if some people 
would have been turned off initially seeing that on the shelves. Looking at those James Jean covers and you pick it up and inside it's nothing like that art at all. It is much more solid black lines and flat colors and such. The art's know. still good inside too. I don't know. I like the covers. I'm kind of used to Vertigo books having covers that don't always match the insides. Well... Vertigo is the subset of DC Comics that publishes this. Well, literally everyone ever should also be used to, like, cartoons that clearly get, like, their covers, like, exported to, like, some studio in Korea that's not really following the character design, too. That's different, though. That's just shittily rushed hour cover art. It's not just Korea, though. Sometimes it's just freelancers in America. They just have, like, a very short time to copy someone else's art style on the cover. Look, I'm just glad it's not, like, Low Sandman, Dave McKean covers. I know people love Dave McKean. I didn't care for him. I don't care for those covers. I find them confusing jumbles of shapes. I don't know if you even remember the Sandman covers. I remember Sandman itself much better than I remember the covers. Uh, I have an original note. I have a note here that I was supposed to, I was supposed to look, probably check this actually. My note just says, is Bill Willingham the original character designer? Shrug. I didn't look it up. I only say that because in the back of maybe the second volume, there's a bunch of character sketches. I mean, they're not signed by uh, any of the artists, so I got to assume Bill did the did his own character designs. I guess. Yeah, original character designs by Bill Willingham. They, I don't know. I mean, we're not seeing him draw sequential panels or anything. We're just seeing him draw single images of characters. But Bill seems to be decent enough as an artist. Cool. I mean. You could have drawn that book if you wanted to, I guess. Probably a lot of work. Probably didn't want to. <laughs> Did not pre-prepare this episode at all. Nope. I was rambling. Yep. Oh, well. Oh, well. Our non-existent listeners who already quit because you made fun of the Republicans too much. <laughs> we'll just have to deal with that disappointment. <laughs> it's fine. I don't want Republican listeners anyway. <laughs> well. <laughs> so tolerant. So tolerant of others. And you know your fucking nerd friends aren't Republicans. I don't know, they're probably communists. That's a completely different thing. Oh god, oh my god. <laughs> you. Uh. Alright, uh, my next one's just about the lore. How do you like the series lore? Like the, the lore that it builds within the series itself. You know, stuff like how the fables themselves work, that kind of belief-based immortality and that business. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, like, again, it's, like, kind of the... Kind of, sort of, but not really. I mean, the same concept as American Gods again. Which seems to be, the more they're believed in, the... Not necessarily stronger, but I guess the harder they are to kill. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's very, that's very interesting, and it's... I mean, on one hand, the all of the fables kind of seem very human insofar as... They're very emotional, they easily get hurt, they're, like, manipulated left, right, and center... But then you get, like, you know, the really, like, the, mo the more interesting things, like, you know, with how long they've really been alive and how they, some of them apparently just don't learn. And then, you know, you you chuck in something kind of cool and supernatural, like, you know, spoilers, Snow gets fucking shot in the head. And apparently the only reason that she doesn't flat out die is purely based on that faith, which I think that's cool. I also think it's cool that because they're, I guess, all effectively immortal until they get killed. Which sounds dumb, but they effectively have just continuous lives until they get killed. Well, I mean, they're like Tolkien elves. But yeah, you, yeah, they have that kind of elf immortality. Yeah. But I think it's cool that you can, like, after Snow gets shot, 
I think a year passes in the space of an issue where she heals. Something like there that. There aren't yeah. a lot of other stories where you can just have a year pass and it's not a big thing. Well, I, I guess, mean, I guess for that year, everyone kind of chilled their gills. Yeah, I guess just because they're they are all immortals, like a year's not that big of a deal to them. True. They don't have to have this much change in their lives. It's true. I just thought it was neat that they can kind of play. They, you can have long stretches of time. It's not like I don't know. It's not like Sailor Moon where they fight a monster every week. Like they seem to fight a million goddamn monsters every month. They can. You can have the uprising at the farm, and then nothing major happens in Fable Town for like a year. Well, I'm also thinking of Dragon Age, most like Dragon Age Two specifically. Where isn't it like ten years or something? Yeah, no. that, yeah, that game takes place over ten years. Yeah, like that. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I like to see stories happen over long, longer periods of time. Yeah, like you know, things don't have to happen in like a month. It also makes romances better. Yeah, oh my because God. it gives them yes, time to breathe. Because then they can actually fucking get to know each other. That's why I like uh, beating Disney beating Beast. Yes, because they got they they were what they were trapped together for at least six months. If not at more, least through right? the winter. Yeah. Or one snowy day. No, like it was definitely a while. It was something like at least four to six months, wasn't it? Uh, they go from not snow to snow to not snow. Yeah, so something easily like at least four to six months, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Beauty and the Beast. Tangentially related. <laughs> Rain is back around. Okay, what do you think about Bigby and Snow as a pairing? As two characters and as I a feel couple. like they're the kind of characters where even if they did end up in a relationship, it would not be traditional. Like, I don't see them, either of them, like, you know, ever, like, you know, like, moving into each other and, like, eating pizza. Like, being very... Tra- traditional is probably the wrong word to use, but I guess predictable. Like, I don't feel like either of them are willing to let go of, like, really important aspects of their individuality. Or, like, you know, their independence. Like, Snow clearly takes a lot of... Well, I don't know if pride is necessarily the word, but she clearly has a lot of dedication to, like, the responsibility that she has for Fabletown. And I don't think that she, as herself, would want to, like, relinquish that for the sake of a relationship, and I don't think that Bigby would expect that of her either. So, I mean, I think it's the kind of relationship where all it could ever be is, yes, we like each other, and then kind of awkwardly moving around that. I don't know, that's just what I think. Yeah. Well, I got some spoilers for you. Okay. Going forward. I don't know, maybe you forgot, but um, the end of the book three was that she was pregnant. Yeah. 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 What, do they decide to have, like, a fucking sit-down family and Snow stops trying to run the town? No, I don't think she ever stops running the town, but, you know, they do develop into a relationship. Oh, okay. Well, news to me. Um, I have to say, I was kind of a bit concerned going back to rereading it, because I could vaguely remember the whole, they have sex while drugged sort of thing going on, but neither of them know. I guess it's handled as well as it could be in the book. I think their relationships mostly handled well. There's one weird scene where... Because there's that big thing at the party where he kind of does that whole stupid elaborate thing to kind of get her to go to the party with him. Yeah. And then she's like, no, don't fucking do that again. And he's like, okay, if that's what you want. And then he seems to stick to that, except for one weird... There's one panel where he makes some crack about them hooking up or something. And she's like, I fucking said no. And he's like, yeah, okay. And it seemed weird that like, he was kind of going to be that shitty character trope of the guy that, you know, doesn't take no for an answer. 
Which I disagree with in every way, shape, which is, and form. Which is a terrible trope. We haven't watched that Brooklyn Nine-Nine show, but I know there's a character like that in there. Men who don't take no for an answer are men that you should avoid. I'm but, just saying. But there's so much media where that's played up as like the, oh, he's gonna get the girl in the end, and then he does. But he shouldn't, because that's not how it works, because she thinks you're a fucking stalker. Yeah. In this, they seem to end up, well, you know, the start of their relationship is that they go through some rough shit together. They, you know, tranny through the woods being hunted by a Goldilocks. Yep. He gives that whole speech about how he can smell her at all times. It's a little weird. But he can't not do it? Apparently. I don't know. Their relationship could have been really shitty, but I don't think it is. I guess quickly, okay, so, I guess we covered the first volume, mm-hmm. Murder Mystery. I liked it, even though it's genre an odd start. I, I do I do like how um Bigby's reveal at the end. Like, again, like, he's clearly, like, you know, a tough guy. But he's also kind of obviously, like, kind of a dork in a show-off. A dork who wants to have the big, like, Inspector Poirot moment? Yeah, like, he's clearly, like... And it, it's one of those things where, like, he clearly... Like, I can like I can read this and I know and I can understand why he kind of has to maintain this image of being the big scary wolf. Because otherwise, in, like, you know, a community of, like, magical creatures who could very easily not give a fuck how else do you really kind of enforce yourself i guess but it's nice to see that he's not that isn't all of his character either uh i don't want to spoil the the game too much but if you play the wolf among us like (laughs) i know i found it easier playing as big me to just kind of go to threaten and intimidate all the time there's like these fucking fables Jesus Christ, just give me the information I need to do this case. I'm gonna have to threaten. Gonna have to beat the shit out of some people. That's kind of the life he has to lead, and I don't know, it's not necessarily what he wants. Alright, second story. Animal Farm. Well, mostly just because I read that book in high school. I read that title and I was like, whoa. I never read Animal Farm. I did see an animated version with Kelsey Grammer as a pig, though. Like, the fact that the pigs were part of it was kind of like, what? Yeah, it wasn't subtle. Nope. I like it as a story, though. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, like it's interesting. Don't I mean, get me wrong. I mean, it's your first introduction to the farm, so it's your first introduction to like half the fables universe. Yeah, especially since you know there would be a bunch of them where you're just like, hey, but where's this and where's that? It's a good mythology building. I like that it has the convenient narrative excuse of Big B can't go to the farm. Because no one fucking trusts him to go to the farm that lives on the farm. Because the three little pigs are there? Because all the animals are there. It's true. And, uh, especially, Bigby's very much, as much as anyone is, he's definitely the main character of that first arc. Yeah. Of the Rose Red, Rose Red is Dead story. So it's nice that in the second book, there's that narrative contrivance of, Bigby cannot be anywhere near this story. It's just gonna be Rose and Snow. It is their turn to shine. Goldilocks was interesting as a character. Yeah. Fucking bears, apparently. Yeah, literally. But, like, you know, I like the fact that she's... Oh, man. Like, she's clearly her character, but... I forgot how much of the cartoonist communist revolutionary she was. Well, well like, I'm, I'm kind of, I think, sort of referring to an earlier point where, like, they take the idea of all of these stories and all of these characters... And you can still see their roots, but they've done something different. I think Goldilocks is definitely a prime example of that. Like, she is 
Goldilocks from the story that you know from the Three Bears, but she's grown up since then. And this is what she became. I guess she did just walk into people's houses and eat their food and sleep in their beds. Yeah, basically. I guess she's sharing the wealth among the commons. Uh, apparently. I, I also like that, um, uh, they don't really save the day. They kind of save the day like Tuxedo Mask saves the day. <laughs> but I like that, I like that, pri- I like that Prince Charming, Boy Blue, and Bluebeard kind of just show up at the end to sort of save the day. I, I kind of like, it's weird. Prince Charming seems like he just kind of wormed his way into being a main character. Then again, that's very in character for him. It works for him in character. I like that he does it. I like that he just kind of forces himself to become a main character. So this uh, book had giants and a dragon in it. Which is very cool. Plus the introduction of uh, that pig's head on a stick. Oddly enough, pig head on a stick, gonna be a recurring character. He's the kind of prophetic dream, hey, I'm gonna warn you about some things character. Oh, let's see. Also, uh, at the end of that animal farm, I do like, again, that whole they can't die if they're believed in kind of thing. How, you know, they still had to have three little pigs. Like, they have to have three little pigs. Yeah. Because m- mundanes, I Where believe, I is don't, the term. Like, I don't think... Like, they, or I guess we, like, we know the three little pigs story. We have to have that. So, like, you know... Um, that's 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 again. That's oh. interesting with the mythology of it that they have to Wait. exist. No, I, I I I forgot how it worked for a second. So I was going to say they don't get a new Goldilocks. But right, the pigs don't just appear by magic. The pigs are those three giants. Yeah. They get turned into pigs because hey, I guess being a pig's better than being asleep forever. Yeah. Well, that's literally the, oh. the reasoning behind it. You're looking at this. This isn't really story relevant. This is um way the physical book has been assembled. I don't like that in Animal Farm Volume Two. They've put all the covers at the back. I prefer to have the covers in there to serve as the sort of obvious chapter breaks. I mean, at the very least, there's definitely, it leads to a sequence where on one page, Snow gets shot in the head, and then the directly opposite page is you can see her in clearly a dream talking to someone. Yep. Like, you're looking at the same page, you can see she gets shot and is fine. Okay, book three? Uh, what is it? Story, story... Starts with... Story... Storybook story love? Hmm. Storybook love. Yes. I think this is the introduction to the semi-recurring thing of the... One thing I think Fable's really good and, and really well suited for, standalone stories. Just single, done-in-one issues where here is a story about Jack having an adventure. And then at the end of the book, there's the, you know, here's the story about the Lily Puddians and the Barleycorn women. Yeah. They're good, single, standalone issues... They expand the universe. They're fun breaks to get away from the main characters in the main plot, put them in different situations, yep. get backstory. It's a really good thing, and I really like it. That's followed up with that guy who thinks they're vampires? Mm, yeah, because there's a story about Jack. He's a fuck. Like, that seems to be the entire point of that story. <laughs> oh, it's just to have a fun story about the time he stole death. Then he stole the devil's bag. Yep. Ah, ooh, that devil's a bit... Mm, I know, I don't know. Mysterious magic... The devil's a magical <sighs> negro, is the term, I believe, for it. I, the only other magical negroes I know are the one in Stephen King books. Let's be honest here. Being a white dude would have been more accurate. Also, oh god, he has... His speech pattern seems... I don't know, to me it seems really borderline racist, but Jack seems to have the same borderlines. He seems to have the same speech pa- pattern. They both seem to have these really weird, dumb down... I don't know, is that how people spoke in the South in the Civil War? How should I know? You're from the South. Yeah! 
Not from, like, not from the Civil War. Fine, I thought you might know a bit more about your heritage. You're saying I should know more about the South. So you You're saying I should know more about the Confederacy. Really, they teach you in schools. They mostly teach us about the North winning. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't gloss over that, actually. I grew up on a military base. Uh, fine, whatever. You give me that look. Fine, let's move on from your terrible schooling. Next story is that uh, vampire one. Mm-hmm. That guy who thinks they're vampires. I I'll think this is a fun story. It is fun. It's just a fun caper. It's an Ocean's Eleven caper, but instead of disabling security cameras and having their infrared laser beam eye laser see and goggle things, they just have Briar Rose show up, prick a finger, make everyone fall asleep. It's it's fun to see people do the kind of story where you'd usually see some sort of high-tech modern gadget, and instead it's, here's a sort of supernatural thing. Yeah. Here's how we are going to do that version of this story. Yep. It's a fun twist. And also, it's important narratively for setting up Bluebeard. I mean, he already had that tension, but continuing his tension between Bluebeard and everyone else. Because mm. he's a prick. He does rock this his red coat, though. And that Dorman's coat he steals? Yeah. And the next story is the... Oh, him and Goldilocks having their plan to get revenge. Snow and Big B get sent in the woods to have... I don't remember what exactly they threatened this dude with. Oh, I think... Oh, oh yeah, oh. they bring in Pinocchio and, like, clearly set up some sort of yep. photos that would make him look like a pedophile. Yeah, I couldn't... Earlier when I said Pinocchio and you were like, I don't like him, he was gross, I was like, I can't think why you thought he was gross. Yeah, oh, yeah, this I would be I knew there it. was a reason I thought he was gross. Yeah. It's kind of a gross use of the character. And, like, okay, on one hand, holy shit, convincing blackmail, but did they really have to go there? Yeah, they could have... I'm sure Bill could have thought of some other blackmail thing they could do. Yeesh. Fuck. And then this is the beginnings of Prince Charming meeting himself and me. Yeah. Uh, that's followed up with the... And then, so, Bluebeard just kills the dude. Yeah. So... Because that tells you about Bluebeard. So that gross shit with Pinocchio wasn't even fucking necessary. Yeah, they could've... The blackmail didn't need to be super convincing to us as readers because it became irrelevant anyway because he gets gets killed off and the problem's gone. Like, you could've completely glossed over that whole, you know, pedophile thing. Big B could have just handed him some photos. He could have just reacted to them. We could have never even known what it was. It clearly was enough to make him break down and say, like, oh god, please, no. And then Bluebeard still would have shot him anyway, so who cares? Yeah. Did not need those details. Absolutely not. This bit was sweet, though. Like, Big B constantly... You gotta describe the bit, Karina. I was literally just doing that. Big B, like, following around Snow... Like, you know, making sure you're okay and everything. And he makes, like, all these, like, smart little comments. Like, right here, they're, like, tired of my company so soon. And she's just like, well, company is one thing, yada yada, I have a job to do, blah blah blah. And he's like, oh, I have a job to do too. Like, this is one of those things where, I guess, on one hand, it's a little bit of a caricature because, lol, he's a wolf. Dog, loyalty, blah blah. But I also think it kind of... It's it's good for his character because he's obviously loyal to Snow, 
who is basically our good guy, who is our good guy, really, who is our kind of symbol of authority and, like, you know, setting things right, so. Check stay loyal dog people. Hey, I think if can we le- you blame them? I think if we learn anything from Jupiter Ascending, it's that. <laughs> yeah! That and bees can detect royalty. <laughs> Apparently. Space royalty. Space royalty. Yeah, this is the story where they, Bigby and Snow, get that love potion used on them to get them out of the fucking way. So Goldilocks can kill them in the woods, and Bluebeard can... Also, Goldilocks has a terrible bra. I'm just saying. Like, it looks terrible. Uh, seems to be one she got from Kmart. Hey, even my Kmart bras look better than this. I like the mice police. Yeah. Mouse police. They're, they're just a cool concept. Oh, here we go. This is, this is uh, yes. my, fir- my first indication of who needs a mouth, Bigby. Well, Bigby doesn't need a mouth. The, he's got his mustache and his beard. You can tell where his mouth is. And then the next issue is... Yeah, it's them out in the... It's it, The third one... Okay, volume three. You got the two sink standalone stories. You've got that kind of crime caper vampire blackmailing guy. And then I guess this one is sort of a survival wilderness horror thing. I guess. Where there's the deadly hunter coming to get them and they gotta use their brains to survive. Yeah. Meanwhile, Prince Charming's up to things. Yeah, he's fucking everything. The things he are up to are killing Bluebeard, basically. And planning on taking over the town. Yeah, serving his own interests. We get to see uh, Big B's wolf form. Oh, I was very excited to see Big B's wolf form for it's the first time. very cute. You see him earlier in that, and he's more like a wolf man. Oh, that whole thing about his mother being, what, the North, or father being, mother? His father's the North Wind. Father being the North Wind. I, f- I find that cool. I find that very, a very interesting, like, I don't even know if that has anything to do with the original story of Red Riding Hood or not. Or not Red Riding no, Hood, but Three pigs. Little Pigs. But it puts a lot more, like, it, it's it's a really clever use of the original story to give him, like, something cool to use narratively. Yeah. It's it's also, it's one of those brilliant, if if I was writing a book about fairy tales and I read this, I'd be like, oh, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Of course he's the father's north wind. That's why he can huff and puff so good. Yeah. I also like all the framing with the leaves in, like, this issue. Uh, Mark Buckingham? Also, Is yeah, actually, right? there's a lot of good framing in this issue in general. Hang on, I have to check, because I get... Yeah, it's Mark Buckingham. I mix up Bill Willingham and Mark Buckingham all the time, because they're both Inghams, I guess. Well, yeah, but, like, these these people here, like, the issue of Duel, the yeah. whole thing is, is really well done with, like, framing. Mark Buckingham also often does fancy... Because, yeah, like, even the actual yeah. Duel the, among, the, with Prince Charming and Bluebeard has, like, this really cool... It's a shield. Yeah, like the like a heraldry crest. And um, the, you'll have pages where the page will be mostly about snow, and the borders will be kind of a snowflake motif. It might be. Yes, here back to the. Loop. He'll he'll do different fancy stylistic borders depending on what character is, yeah. which is nice. And it's one of those things which, if he was less good of an artist, could come off as really hacky. And like every page isn't exactly the same because he's really good with using. Well, this is technically negative space, even though it's white, but he uses, like, the white of the page as negative space to, like, frame, like, the panel and then space break, and then, like, you yeah. know, the big action frame at the bottom and everything. It reminds And me- even this one, because this is obviously, like, the echoes of the wind and everything, and it's your different panels. It reminds me a little of J.H. Williams III. 
Yeah, a little, like with the glass Mostly. and like the really good framing and using yeah, using an entire page and not like always feeling the need to like panel everything so individually. I was gonna say it reminds me of that they both do certain panel layouts and page designs that if they weren't very good at them would be really hacky would just come across as really shitty and hacky and like a middle school student trying to do something cool but because they are so good at what they do it actually really works and makes their work look different to what everyone else is doing oh here we go and then when we have our page with goldilocks and like it's just goldilocks we have like red as our borders and it's because she's wearing a jacket with red edging. Huh. That might be more of a colorist than um. Oh well, maybe. Though. But like, it's still like a clever use of if this page is one character, like you were saying, like with snow and snowflake leaves. I like seeing stuff like that that like refers to characters so well. I. It's the kind of thing you can only do in comics. Yeah. You can't do fancy panel border edging in a movie. I, I like when the medium does the things that the medium is good at. That is special to the medium. Also, I like, uh, speaking of things that are special to medium, you can just have a fucking dragon turn into a raven. Or a flashback story where there's people can't die. and Or Lilliputians. Or... Fables is definitely one of those books where one of the big advantages of comics is that the most intricate end-of-the-world science fiction space battle costs exactly the same money to draw and print as two people having tea in a cafe. So why the fuck not have a crazy thing happen? Like, this... Sh are you looking at Bigby's face? That too. You looking at the uh? I'm also pointing out the snowflakes. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. Like it's a snow page, so there's snowflake edging. Like this is about her, so it has like her colors and her. But like I also really like that um in the whole scene with Goldilocks's death, it's all in oranges, which seems like a setting sun. Oh, the the negative space behind the panels is orange. Yes, like before where it was all like blues. Or, like, greys. Yeah, like, it was all blues, like, it was all night stuff, which put a lot into But I like that Goldilocks's death, like, basically her whole death scene is the oranges, because it changes from here. Like, here's the axe, and then it sinks into her head, and then we get the orange. So it seems like a setting sun. Because, hmm. you know, like, she's slowly dying as well. And, like, it's not even in, like, the individual panels. Like, in the individual panels, the sky is still blue, but you still have that orange, which has been there since the axe sunk into the back of her head. So, uh. clearly, it's like, you know... And then here, like, it's red, even. So that's, like, even more of a set. And then in the next panel, she's yeah. run over by the truck. That is good work. Um, so, like, that's good use of color and, like, kind of subconscious thinking. That's good work. Daniel Vozo. Yeah. It's good work, Daniel. So like that like I, I like arty, like symbolic shit like that too. What do you think of that um Linda Medley art in the Lily Puttian? Like it was it's The Lily Puttian Barleycorn women's story. Yeah, like it's good, but it's definitely like children's storybook kind of style. Which is obviously what they're going for here. But like I like the art in the main story. Again, that's another good thing about these single standalone issues is um you can change it up. Yeah, you can bring in different artists. Come to think of thinking of it, and what I know about comics, these single issues are probably there for that reason. So you can have Mark Buckingham come in, draw four or five pages of main story, and then give him a break for a month by having someone else 
draw a different story. Well, he's probably not getting a month. He's probably getting a mo having a month to catch up on the next lot of work he has to have done. Often, I know often in comics you'll often get, like, at the end of a story arc, there'll be a single issue story by a different artist, and it's often to let the main artist have a can chance to catch up and get more breathing room on their deadlines. Or books just end up being late. It happens. I feel like we've talked a lot about this now. Yeah. Kind of wish it picked a book that would have had more of an ending. This just kind of ends on the Big B, I'm Pregnant, here's a story about barleycorn women. Yeah, kind of. I feel like the next volume, volume pool, does have more of an ending. The next one definitely addresses more of the adversary stuff. Oh, that's good. It's a big... I was going to say... On the Lost podcast, they talk about mythology episodes, like episodes where you learn a lot about the island. Mm. On that last podcast I've been listening to. I do like those shows. Book 4 is definitely, of the next storyline of Fables is definitely a, you're going to learn things about the backstory of what happened. Good. Also, before we wrap up, I just want to, uh, one thing quickly. I've, I mean, Karina's only read these first three volumes. I've read the first 13. Uh, my recommendation, I haven't read it all. I kind of recommend reading up to the end of volume 11, which is issue 75. It's a good endpoint. This, from what I can tell, Fables kind of worked a bit like Supernatural. In it that had an ending. You can watch it up to season, you can watch Supernatural up to season 5 and then just stop watching. You got an ending. They made another 4 or 5 seasons, but... I don't know, we season, season 5 was clearly meant to be an ending. We watched 6 and didn't care for it. We're not going to keep watching it. Fables is a bit like that. You can tap out in issue 75 and you've got your resolution catharsis. From what I hear, between issue 75 and the ultimate ending in issue 150... There is a lot of wheel spinning. I don't know if I want to finish. If I do want to finish reading all of it, that's a lot to read. And I don't. The th the thing that makes me maybe I would is even if the plot's not really going anywhere, I know that there's probably a lot of good character work, art, which is one of the big things I like about it the most is that it does have good character interaction, character moments, art. So maybe even if the story's not going anywhere, character's still good. Yeah, and art, art's good. Like they are. I will say, from what I hear, issue 150, the final issue, is volume 22. Like, that final issue was basically a trade itself. Fuck. Yeah, apparently the issue 150 is a big one. Okay, my back hurts. Oh, well, I think we're done. I think we rambled on about... Colors and... Nothing and... much enough. Yeah. Oh, next time we do one of these, we're definitely doing something shorter. And I tell you, next time we're reading Princeless. Okay. With only the first story arc, which is four issues. That okay. will be easy to read. <laughs> Maybe it won't take you like three months to do it. Uh, you gonna keep reading Fables? Probably. You gonna read Live Volume 4 next year? Maybe. Yeah? You're just gonna keep playing Tor, aren't you? You keep playing MMOs? Yeah, so. Yeah? Find time to do anything else? Do other things. Like draw MMO art? I'm getting paid for it. Who gives a shit? And the other stuff you're not getting paid for. Yeah, whatever. It's why I like drawing. Yeah. Alright, we're out. Bye.